last night, and uh, so we've enjoyed being with you all, and uh, always look forward, of course, to getting home and seeing the family and all that kind of fun stuff and getting rolling, but I've enjoyed the trip, uh, first time to New York, and uh, so that was really good. Appreciate Brother and Mrs. Montoro and uh, all the work that they have done, and uh, Mrs. Montoro is a wonderful person. <laughs> I just wanted to see how she was going to sign that. And, uh, but uh, honestly, uh, I do appreciate everything. Uh, I know you think, well, wow, it's been kind of a break for our pastor. Actually not. Uh, we do a lot of revivals as well, and uh, I can just tell you it's actually more work. And uh, because he has to put up with me, eh, and uh, constantly come and get me and take me back, and then take me back, come and get me, and take me back, come and get me, take me back, come and get me, take me back. I just want to see her do it one more time. Okay, just kidding. And, uh, but uh, in that, I, I tell you what, seriously, uh, it's a lot of work. It really is. It's a lot of work. And uh, so I appreciate all that they've done, all that they continue to do. And uh, you've got a, a good church here. And you want to go con- continue to go strong. Definitely continue to go strong. So I hope you pray for your pastor and their family and uh, everyone in the church, each family. I know you have a prayer list. I think it's a wonderful thing. Praying for one another, uh, definitely so. We're going to end tonight, 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. I apologize if I talk too fast. It's one of those inherited things. Um, I, I just do. So uh, I try to slow down a little bit so you can get every word. If not, you may have to ask your neighbor. By now you should realize that's not going to happen. It's the last night. Okay, so 2 Kings chapter 7. If you have it, stand there. We'll finish up tonight. See what the Lord has for us for these last few moments here. 2 Kings chapter 7. <clears throat> Like everybody has it. Okay, we're going to jump down to verse 3. The Bible says, And there were four leper men at the entering end of the gate, and they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we will enter into the city, then the famine is in the city, and we will die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, well, basically we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they, when, when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel had hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents their horses, their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. And when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried thence silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it and came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it. Then they said one to another, We do not well. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So they came, called into the port of the city, and they told them, saying, We came into the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of a man, but horses tied, asses tied, and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. Thank you. And you may be seated. A little background to the story. Uh, the Syrians have uh, surrounded Samaria and the city here, and Elisha the prophet is inside, and uh, you have to read kind of the chapters before as it builds up to the story. And 
and what God is doing at this time. But uh, the basis of the way they used to fight back then is they would besiege a city. And what that is, a little different than today, but they would take their great army and they would encamp around about it. And it was basically the ideal of this. Well, we'll just wear them out. We'll run them out of food. We'll run them out of water. And maybe they'll surrender. And I mean, you would do this for like a year, two years, depending on the size of the city. And that's what you would do. And so here they are. They're besieging the city. They're around in the camp. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets out. They're just wearing them down is what they're doing. Wearing them down. Oh, maybe a little skirmish here and there. And here's the scenario. If you back up and read the story, it's desperate. I mean, they're now at the end. They refuse to surrender, the Jews do. They don't want to surrender to the enemy. But at the same time, it's so desperate that they're doing, well, they're eating despicable things. I won't go all the way into it. You can read it yourself, but it's not pleasant. And a little bit of cannibalism taking place, a little bit of eating bird droppings. Yeah, I said it. Okay, bird droppings. Can't even imagine that. People actually paid for that and ate it because there was no food anywhere. And so there's a big argument is taking place. And Elijah comes up and says, tomorrow at this time, God will deliver the city. And he does. But what's amazing to me is the story of how he did it. You see, in this story, as you heard me read, there's four lepers. Now, lepers were, they had a disease. And we don't have leprosy so much today. It's still there, but not in our culture, per se. And so we're not as familiar. And I won't get into all the detail. But basically, if you get leprosy, well, you die. There's no cure. In this day and age, there's nothing. You were ostracized, separated from the community. You had your own place to live. You can't work. They didn't have social security. They didn't have assistance from the government. They, they had nothing. The only way you survived is caring people in your family or someone else would bring you food. You had to fend for yourself. You went to the trash, ate out of the trash. You got the leftovers. That was your life. And you lived this very uh, debilitating life in that the sores began to affect you and you would lose parts of your body and people couldn't stand to look at you and, and the smell began to grow and it was a miserable life. And there's four lepers and they've gone through the famine and I don't know who used to supply them, but think, if the whole city has nothing, well, who's feeding the lepers? It's not like you're saving some for that group. You know what I'm saying? In other words, if they're all dying inside, you know the lepers are at that point because they haven't had anything. And they finally come to each other, and we read it in verse 4 and 5, and they said, listen, in verse 4, if we say we will enter into the city, well, we die. There's a famine in there. Plus, the people may kill us because we're lepers. If we say, well, we'll just sit here. We won't do anything. Well, then you die. You don't have any food. And so by logic and deduction, they came up with one answer. We'll go to the enemy and see if they have mercy. And the thought came, but most likely they'll kill us. And then they said, well, you know, of all the three options... Seems to be consistent. So at least we'll try that. We know we'll die in the city. We know we'll die sitting here. But maybe, maybe a miracle they'll show us mercy or throw some food at us. So off they go. And as they get to that part of the story in verse 5 and 6, they go to the end and God had sent, as Elijah had promised, he had sent this wind and it sounded like an army coming. And literally they abandoned everything. All their food, all their tents, all their animals and ran for their life. Can you imagine that? I mean, a sound. God made it so real. God made them think in their mind that they're about to be wiped out. That they didn't stop for anything. They got up and literally ran for their lives and abandoned everything. Enough to feed the city and keep them going. And so the four lepers go out. And as you read the story, you saw it. They go, they get the food, they hide it. 
They get some more. They hide some more. They pig out their stuff. And then it hits. You know? We might want to share. It's always a good thought. Amen? Yeah, interesting thought. Now, I want to break down a couple quick thoughts here. Uh, real quick. Uh, number one. The rep- First of all, lepers realized they had to make a choice. You know, most of the week we've talked about making choices of some sort. That's part of our life. We make choices. Your destiny is determined upon choices that you make. You reap what you sow. The lepers had to make a choice, and so they did. Secondly, though, what's interesting to me is this. Probably the one that sticks out to me the most is this. Of all the people that would save the city, I'm not a betting man. If I ever bet, I only bet when I'm 100% sure I'm going to win. So it's really not a bet. So if you ever see me betting someone, there's only one reason. I already know the outcome. For instance, I may bet you who won the World Cup. Yeah, I'd only do that if I know, but I didn't hear, so I can't. Uh, but the fact matters, you only do that if you know. But if I was a betting man, and I thought about everybody in the city, and maybe you thought, who could save the city? Well, the king, the great mighty men, the elders, this group over here, this group over here. But can I tell you, I guarantee you, not one person in the city said this. We will be saved by the leper colony. Never cross their mind. And nobody thought about it. These are lepers. They can't do anything. They're feeble. They're dying. They're not going to save us. They can do nothing. And yet, are you ready? That's who God chose to save the people. I tell you that for this reason. I used it this morning. I'll use it again. If God can use a donkey and God can use a leper... He just might be able to use you. The fact of matters, if you stop and think about it, God always uses the most unlikely people. He really does. God chooses, Corinthians says, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You know who's going to reach this community and the communities around? Strange people like you. Yeah, lepers. People, maybe the community says, you can't do anything. You're worthless. You're nobody. Who are you? Some of you are old. Some of you are too young. Some of you have no skills and ability. You can do nothing. And God says, that's exactly the kind of people I like. I like people who think they can do nothing, trust in me, and God does something. I love that part of the story. I think about that when I think of churches like this. And you say, what impact could we possibly make in New York City? I'm telling you, with God and with great faith, you can do a lot. You can do a lot. Don't sell yourself short. Now, by yourself, you can do nothing. But with him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so I look at these and I have these thoughts. And then finally, I look at this and lepers realize that if they do nothing, if they do nothing and do not share what they have found, they're condemned. In other words, as they're eating all this food, they finally realize, you know what? There's some people in that city who I imagine had fed them. Some people who had taken care of them in their greatest need. And now when the city is dying, the famine is at its greatest, the thought comes, we're pigging out. It's the greatest day of our life. And they say in verse 9, but we do not well if we do not share this. I don't title my messages to tell you the truth. Uh, Now, some pastors are really good. They have really crafty titles. Uh, My titles are usually 2 Kings chapter 7. That's my title. But this one I went ahead and I titled it, We Do Not Well. We Do Not Well. I want to talk to you about that tonight. We Do Not Well. I look at this story, and the crutch of the story really comes down to this. Four lepers, they go, they get all this money, all this silver, all this gold, all this food, and as they're enjoying it, their conscience kicks in, and they realize something. You know, don't we have a, can I say it this way, an obligation? Don't we have an obligation? 
Now, I would like to uh, apply that just a little bit to the Christian life. I'm going to give you two points tonight that I think are very essential. Number one, when I think about our responsibility as Christians, as individuals, and that's really what it was, they realized it was their responsibility to give and to help. When I think about ours, there's two thoughts that come to mind from this passage. Number one, I wrote, we do not well when we hold back our part. We do not well when we hold back our part. What are you saying, preacher? Well, I'm saying this. I believe, I believe, scripturally, that we do have an obligation to other people. We really do. The fact of the matter is, all of us have certain obligations. As I thought about that, I thought about James 4, 17. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. Sin. In other words, if I know what is right, and I know what is good, and I fail to do it, can I help you? That is sin to me, the Bible says. I didn't say it was sin to you. I said it's sin to me. In other words, I have a moral obligation. I have a responsibility that when God sets something in my way, and God tells me to do something, if I refuse to do it, God says, that is sin to me. Him that knoweth, in my mind, I know what's right. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you know what's right. And when you run into whatever the situation is, whatever comes before you, and there's an obligation or responsibility, you must do what is right. Why? Well, we're Christians. Example, if you have kids, you should train them. Why? It's your obligation. It is. Him that knows to do good, what is good? All that you know about raising, you should do. A husband ought to treat his wife a certain way. It's right. A wife ought to treat the husband a certain way. It's right. If you know what is right and don't do it, can I help you? It matters not what everyone else is doing. You see, the lepers here had an obligation, folks. They just inherited more food than they could eat. And there's a city dying that had cared for them, at least some of the people. And they realized, I have a moral obligation. That brings up an interesting point. You know we have a biblical obligation to go into all the world and preach the gospel? How do you do that? Well, how do you do that? Well, you're going to say, well, preacher, I, I guess missionaries. Well, that is true. You support missionaries to go to like Germany and Italy and, you know, Asia and, and all over the world. You, you support missionaries to go to your place. Yes, yeah, so even this, this church in Queens, Astoria, you have a biblical obligation to go in the world and to preach all the gospel. And so you send missionaries out. That, that is true. You ought to. But now, wait a minute. Are you in all the world? I doubt it, unless you've got billions of dollars. Okay? I doubt if you are. You say, well, well, how do you reconcile that in your mind? Well, there's a second part. There's obligation, and there's another part. It's called opportunity. Opportunity. Galatians tells us, Let us therefore do good to all men, all men, especially those of the household of faith. But it says this, as we have opportunity, let us do good. I thought about this, and I thought, here are the lepers. They were given a rare opportunity, an obligation before them. And with that obligation and opportunity, they did the right thing, did they not? And then I thought about us. Let me explain this to you. Let me, let me help you understand this. Okay. I have an obligation to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But I can't go everywhere. I can't even send missionaries everywhere. So, how do I reconcile that in my mind? Opportunity. What do you mean? Okay. As God sends situations or people in your path, that is what you're responsible for. 
what we're responsible for is what we can do. I can't, for instance, I can't feed the world. I don't have the money to feed the world. I don't. Uh, we support Amana. Um, uh, our mission team right now is in Romania. We have a Amana feeding center. We feed about 50 kids uh, Monday through Saturday, I believe it is. Sunday they're at church. And so 50 kids, orphans from Romania, end up there, and that's their one meal a day. That's something our church can do. Uh, we send, uh, I don't know, $800 a month to make sure they can eat. That's really cool. That's really neat. But that's just a blip. That's just a blip. There are people all over the world, kids starving. Do you know how hard that is to reconcile in your mind? We eat good. Does that mean we, we don't eat anymore? We starve ourselves? Is that the sermon preacher? No. No. I tell people all the time, if you live in America, you are so fortunate. So fortunate. I'm the worst person for you to ever come up to and say, I am so poor. I'm like, I got some people that love to trade places with you. Because we always compare to someone making more than us. You know what I'm saying? We always look at someone doing better. We're like, I am so poor. This is such a rough life. Oh, all I have is a home and a roof and air conditioning and a refrigerator and food. I am so poor. Really? Like I said, we got our kids in Romania. I'm not exaggerating. One meal a day and, and they're happy to get that. So for me, I'm like, how do I reconcile this? Um, because the Bible says here, we do not well. And I'm thinking, we do not well if I, if I don't do my part, if I hold back my part. So I begin thinking, what do I do? And so it comes to me. Here it is. I can only do what God allows me to do. But what he allows me to do, I am to do. Think about it. Opportunities come in, in two different ways. One, some opportunities fall in your lap. Let me illustrate. Um, I'm going to use two refrigerators to help you out. Uh, several years back, uh, my wife got a hold of me on a Wednesday morning, afternoon. I don't really remember, but uh, our refrigerator was going out. I called the repairman. That wasn't exciting. And uh, he told me what it would cost. And I said, oh, well, okay, let me think about it. That night we went to church. And uh, no lie, I go to church. We're there. A real estate lady, uh, Miss Debbie, comes up to me. Says, Pastor, listen, I got this problem. I got this family that just moved out, and uh, they've got this one-year-old re- refrigerator. It's a Kenmore, and it's a dual door, and it's got water and ice and all this accessories. You know, we had the little basic, one door open, praise God. You know, she goes, I don't know what to do with it. She goes, I just need to give it to somebody. I went, <clears throat> I do. <laughs> and, and I, it was great. And we took that, put it in, replaced our old one. I then called the repairman, got that old one fixed, and we found someone that needed it and gave it to him. I'm like, I got like a $1,200 refrigerator. And I'm thinking, wow. I mean, isn't it great when some things just fall in your lap? I- I've had this happen. Are you ready? I've had this happen. Uh, it's rare. But every once in a while, somebody will come. My, I love this. Somebody will come or maybe an outreach. I'll be knocking doors. Or, or they'll come to church for the first time. Wait for me afterwards and go, Pastor, I would like to be saved. You got time? I got plenty of time. Take open the word of God. I've knocked on doors and had that happen. I've literally knocked on doors. Not a lot. Seriously, not a lot. And I'm passing out tracks. The person comes and they begin crying. And I'm like, is it that bad? And they're like, no, no. I've been asking God to send somebody my way. I want to know God. And I'm like, somebody pinch me. That doesn't happen a lot. I mean, literally, it's just like God puts them in your lap. You know what I didn't do? Well, i tell you what, I'll, I'll pray for you. And maybe someday I could come back and talk to you. You have a good day. 
Well, no. I mean, right there, I'm like, hey, there's an opportunity. I'm like, I'm on it. I opened up the Word of God, led them to the Lord. Easiest soul winning I've ever done in my life. But can I tell you? That rarely happens. Some things fall in your lap, some opportunities. But some you have to pursue. Second refrigerator story. We have a lot of refrigerator problems in our place. But uh, our refrigerator is working good, but we host a lot of people. And my wife, three days before Thanksgiving, said, listen, we got about 30 people coming here, maybe more, and uh, I don't have the refrigerator space. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And she said, no, I don't think you understand. I need you to find another refrigerator. And I'm like, well, honey, it's three days. I, I know. I don't know what you're going to do, but good luck. But I want a refrigerator. I am a happily married man. You know why? Because what she wants, I get her. And so I went down, and we've got a guy that works at an appliance store, and I thought, man, Jeff, you got to help me out, man. Uh, and I'm looking at prices. I'm like, I, I really can't afford right now to buy a refrigerator. Do you rent refrigerators? I go, I need it for a week. we got Thanksgiving coming one week. He goes, I'll see what I can do, preacher. So he went to the back, and he was repairing one that was returned. He said, listen, I think they just finished it. If you come back in two, three hours, he goes, I'll tell you what. I'll just drop it off at your house. And I said, I love you. So after I ran home, you know, and uh, we cleared out a spot and just going to use it. I said, I just need to rent it for a week. So I had it for the week. I called him up and said, Jeff, I'm ready to bring it back. He goes, well, let me tell you, preacher. I tell you what, if you wait like two months, uh, I could probably sell that to you for half price. And I went, I have nothing going on for eight weeks. I said, he goes, no, no, just keep it in your house. I said, okay. Two months were up. I put it on my calendar. I called him. So okay, Jeff. I'll come down and pay you. How much is it and everything? And we'd figure it out. I go, no, no, wait another month. Okay. I called him for three months. He says, wait another month. I'm like, I could do this all year. Waited four months. I called him up. He said, you know what? It's a gift. It's a gift. I went, wow, thank you. I love refrigerators. If you need a refrigerator, give me a call. That I can handle. But this hit me here. I'm looking at these lepers, and I thought, you know, some things just fall in your lap. They walked out. They said, okay, give us some food or kill us. Give us some food or kill us. Hello? In other words, had they just sat there and said, oh God, provide me food from heaven, you would not have this story. There are some things that fall in your lap. Amen. But most of the time, can I tell you, when you're seeking God's will, you're trying to do what God's called you to do, you're to be actively busy pursuing, seeking, and it's work, and it's hard, but then God begins to open doors. You say, how does that apply to us? I am so glad you asked. Take a look. I want to show you something. This is the crutch of what I want to talk about. In verse 9, look what they said. Then they said one to another, we do not well. Why? Well, we have an opportunity to save the city. If we just stay selfish and uh, self-centered, and we just take all the stuff for ourselves and the city dies, that's on our conscience. He says, we do not well. This day is a good day of good tidings. And we hold our peace. Number one, we do not well when we do not do our part, our responsibility. Folks, you're Christians. You love the Lord. I don't know what God's going to have you do specifically in your life, but I know this. We all have things that we ought to be doing. Amen. Some are good with your hands. You can help around the church. Some of you are good with your voices. You can talk. Some of you are good cooks. Never offend the cooks. Whatever you can do, can I say this? A church is made up of a body of believers where everybody has a part. God has given you spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Spiritual abilities. And can I tell you, 
you do not well if you're not serving God in some way in the body of Christ. I know not what you're doing. For all I know, you're all doing something for God. But I know this, that's rare. <laughs> that's rare. Okay? The fact of the matter is, though, you ought to find something to do for God. Something that you can do for God. Because He's given you an ability. And if you don't, you hold back that part, you are doing wrong. But just as important is the next part. He says, we do not well, they said, are you ready? If we hold our peace. If we hold our peace. What's that? Difficult subject, but we're going to broach it, okay? I don't want to hear it, Brother Waterloo. I know, but you have to anyways. You know, one of the hardest things to do is a thing called soul winning. Witnessing. Don't leave. It's okay. Believe it or not, I know this may surprise you, but uh, when I was in Bible college and growing up, I was not a very gregarious personality. Go ahead and get it out of your system. Okay. Um, you wouldn't know that, but I was a guy that could come, sit in the back, and never say a word. Okay? Seriously, I just... Not a big deal. Uh, for God to call me in the ministry, my thought is, are you kidding? Okay? I, I wasn't that outgoing, talkative person. I was a quiet person. I was actually, I'm going to say it, shy. Okay? You said, what happened? Don't know. Something changed. Could be the Spirit of God. I don't know. But seriously, all of a sudden, that changed. And I know you think that my personality, though, it's easy to talk to people. Oh, it's easy to talk to believers. But it's not easy to talk to people who aren't believers. You know, even though I talk to people all the time, I guess it's a little easier for me because I do talk a lot and I can communicate, so it's a little easier. But do you really think that every time I go on outreach, I'm like, woohoo! Yeah! Get to get a door slammed in my face today! Praise Jesus! Hey, I don't, I don't enjoy that. You think it's fun passing out tracks going, here's a track, okay. Hey, would you like a track? Hello! And I use everything I could think of. Seriously, we're passing out tracks on Saturday. I'm like, uh, track for church, track for church, church, church. Okay, thank you. Uh, then it was an invitation, invitation, invitation. Didn't even say what I used. I told him what it was. I didn't tell him what it was. You know, I waved it. I mean, every, we, filmed it. we did everything we could. You know, we're like, take the track. You know, I mean, seriously, please. It's not easy. People ignore you. you know, New Yorkers are great. I'd follow them, but they might beat me up, so I didn't. But, uh, but, I mean, it's not easy. In our place, we can knock doors. It's a different environment. You know, you know, Hi, I'm from... Thank you. That's not fun. It's not exciting. For, it's really not. But aren't there a couple of verses in the Bible, like that Matthew 28 one about going into the all, all the world and preach the gospel? I'm all for missions. You ought to send missionaries out. But can I tell you, we have a responsibility right here. I tell our members, uh, every year you need to have one or bring one. By the way, you guys are excluded this year. You're having one, okay? Gotcha. Have one or bring one. Uh, I do. In other words, I tell our people, either have a child or uh, bring somebody. Now, here's what I mean by that. Preacher, I can't bring somebody every year. Right. You do your best. But I say, pick three or four people and talk to them. My uh, daughter-in-law works at Bank of America. She's been working with a girl for three years. She came for the first time three weeks ago. She works with her every time she's at work. We're, we're a small town. It's not like there's a rotation. So they eat lunch together. They talk, going through all of her problems. She's invited her to church multiple times. She's always ignored it. And then for whatever reason, three weeks ago, she showed up in church. She came back the next week. She came back the last Sunday as well. I don't know about today, 
She's lost. Her name's Becca. If you'd pray for Becca, she's lost. She came. Three years. Three years it took. What did she do? Whatever opportunity that came. She took the obligation to be a soul winner and said, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. Becca didn't always listen. Becca wasn't always interested. She didn't force it down her throat. My daughter does not take her Bible to work like this. Man, if you do that, I'm going to pretend I don't know you. Okay? I mean, you don't have to do that. She just lived the Christian life, talked about God. You know, it was an encouragement to her. Listened to her, prayed for her, did those things. And God began to open the door. But I hear this all the time. Well, preacher, I don't talk good to people. Are you kidding me? It's the World Cup. Now, I'm hoping there's not a lot of soccer fans in here. But there might be a couple. But I'm going to tell you, if you are a soccer fan, you probably don't have a lot of problems promoting your team. Any German fans? Argentina? Yeah. I tell you what's happening out there right now. Whoever won, they're talking and telling everybody. And they're not ashamed. I was here when they played one of the games and running up and down the street. They weren't embarrassed. Waving their flag. Again, I'm not asking you to do that, please. What I'm saying is, I've noticed this. Um, We're able to talk about things that are exciting to us. And folks, the most exciting thing ought to be this. Jesus. I get it. They don't want to hear it. But quite honestly, I don't want to hear about the World Cup. But I do. People talk about it. People tell me all their names. What happened? And I go, okay. It's great. We have something greater than that, folks. His name is Jesus Christ. It's called salvation. Oh, it's not easy. Oh, sometimes it'll be real easy, but that'll be rare. Sometimes the refrigerator will be dropped on your steps, but that'll be rare. Most of the time, you're just going to have to go out with your coworkers, your friends, your family. When you have, are you ready? Therefore, opportunity. As God opens doors, you're going to be ready to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Each one, reach one. And it ought to be something every year we're doing, as often as God allows us. We're just telling people. People that are around us. I, I get New York. We're closed in. We go to our, our houses and we lock the doors. Probably a wise move. But I'm thinking at work, at different places, you just speak the name of Jesus as it comes up. You say, why? Folks, there are people out there that need to know God. One of my favorite stories is, uh, and Brother Pete may have told you the story before, but I love it. A guy in Sydney, Australia, by the name of Arthur Stace. If you ever get a chance to look it up, it's a pretty amazing story. Uh, he was an illiterate guy, uh, drunkard, and uh, awful life. I reread part of the story today just to refresh my memory. Um, uh, he literally, I can't explain everything. We have little ears here, but I, it was a wicked life, trust me. I mean, all the vices you can imagine, he participated in. Imagine being a grown man involved in every vice you can imagine. Can't read, can't write. That's his life. He's in a mission. Praise God for missions. Amen. Someone's preaching. He hears, accepts Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Another preacher comes by several years later, preaches a message about eternity. Eternity. An amazing thing happened. It's like God spoke to Arthur States. And Arthur States, who couldn't even write his own name. He couldn't even write Arthur, folks. And that you could read it or I could read it. He said, it's a true story. But the weirdest thing happened... In beautiful calligraphy, he could write the word eternity. Matter of fact, according to his own testimony, he tried to write other words from sermons and couldn't. He could only write the word eternity. He was a janitor for a church. And so what he would do is he got up at five in the morning. 
And for one hour before he went to, to work, he would go somewhere in the city of Sydney, take a piece of chalk, and on the sidewalk would just write the word eternity. Every single day for an hour. He would go down, write eternity. He would go down several steps, write eternity. Several more steps every day. The next day he'd get up and do the same thing in a totally different place. It became so popular in Sydney, they began to try to find him. It was the buzz of the town. Nobody knew who was doing this. It literally took years. One article said three or four times, uh, police officers you know, just about figured it out. Okay? The one who finally figured it out was his pastor. One day he caught him walking out of the church and he had chalk in his pocket. And it just kind of clicked. He said, Arthur, are you the man that writes eternity? He said, yes, pastor, I am. And for the rest of life until he died. Now listen, all he did was write eternity. You say, what's so big about that? Exactly. Pretty simple. Let me tell you what's so big. You know what people started doing? It made the paper. It started getting out. That wasn't his goal. He just wrote it. People would walk to the subway. They'd see the word eternity. People go to work. They'd see the word eternity. You know what they started doing? Thinking about eternity. They begin to ask people around them. And many, we don't know how many, actually came to a point of asking the right people and accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. An illiterate old drunk who had no skills whatsoever just did what God laid upon his heart and wrote the word eternity. And to this day, are you ready? Sydney, in the year 2000, I'll never forget it. That's when I first really began to understand the story. When we hit the year 2000, the big millennium, I was watching on TV and going to see if everything was going to crash, what was happening. You know what they had lit up in Sydney, Australia? Big old letters lit up on the bridge, the word eternity. You know they have a statue there to this day of Arthur Stace? A statue of an old drunk. He so impacted the city of Sydney by just writing the word eternity, folks, that he made a difference. He couldn't do much, but he did what he could. The lepers were lepers. We can't do much. We're dying. We have no skills. We're not important. We're not popular. No one would choose us to do anything. And they saved the city. They saved the city. Why? They did what they could. I tell you right now, I love that phrase, we do not well. Because if four lepers could recognize they had an obligation to use their talents, abilities, opportunities that were given them, then so do we. I'm looking out. Most of us don't have a lot of disabilities. Oh, there's some. I'm sure there's some health issues here. We have a guy in our church had back surgery. He never misses church. Never misses church. In pain, he'll come and sit up in pain, waiting to heal, taking whatever medication he can, brings his daughter. Uh, he's divorced right now. Brings his daughter. Wants her to hear the word of God. Comes every single service. I'm like, wow. We've got people that, again, if we get like snow in Oklahoma, it shuts us down. Probably like here. It's bad. If we get any precipitation, our services will drop by 20%. I'm pretty sure people in Oklahoma think if it rains on them, they're going to melt. Okay, it's bad. But we'll have little old widow ladies that will get out in the ice and the snow, make it to the car, drive to church. I'll meet them at the door going, what are you doing? Why are you here? Oh, pastor, I'm here to worship God. Don't do this to me. I'm like, if you fall and break a hip, it's going to be my fault. And they're like, God will take care of me. I'm like, wow. 
I mean, great, great faith. They're like, hey, I can't do much, Pastor, but I can come to church and I can pray for people. And I don't have all my abilities, but I can do what I can. They don't have a lot of money. I don't know what they give. I never look at that. I really, I, I have no idea. They may give nothing. They may give a dime. But they're like, I can come and pray. I can put a smile on. You know what they're doing? They're doing what they can. You know what God expects out of you? God does not want you to do what he does. Or you to do what they do. Or you do what she, no, no. God wants you to take the abilities you have. The opportunities that come up to you. And do something with them. You are a child of God. And if you don't, well, then you do not well. You do not well. So please, quit sitting around comparing to everyone else and just do what you can. Primarily, can I say this? Please, open your mouth and tell people about Jesus. It may take years for someone to actually respond. That's okay. Aren't you glad someone told you? I'm glad someone told my dad. I got saved because my dad got saved. And my dad uh, set an appointment with the pastor and um, was going to leave. pastor set an appointment. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. My dad was sitting in the front room, no shirt on, pair of shorts, and he was a big boy. Was not a pretty sight. Beer can sitting all around. pastor showed up two hours early. Messed up my dad's plans. Dad was going to shower, get out of the house and say he just forgot. I was there, never forget to this day. pastor showed up, started talking to him. There in the front room, my dad bowed and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm so glad somebody cared enough to come by and talk to my dad. Because of that, several months later, at Jack Benefit Crusade, I got saved. Because of my dad's example. You know, I'm glad someone opened their mouth. And my dad was a rough guy, seriously. He, he was an ex-Marine, and he, he was not nice. Okay, you would not know that today. He's a nice guy. Gentle guy. Because God changed him. Took years, but God changed him. I know it's tough, but can I tell you this? We're not asking you to be like your pastor. No, you, you don't have that ability. We're just saying, whatever God brings your way, do what you can. Because him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him, to him it is sin. And then, it's, then we're not doing well. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you now. Lord, we thank you for your word once again. We thank you for the testimony of these lepers. Lord, you used four people that none of us would have chosen for this task. Of all the people you could use to save the city, Lord, you use the most unlikely, the most unwanted, the most unskilled. And yet, Lord, they decided to go forth and you decided to use them, Lord, to save the city. Lord, I'm thinking here, and there's a group of people here that probably think they have very little ability and talent in spiritual matters. And what can they do? Or what they can do is just be faithful to you. And then when the opportunities come, Lord... Be willing to open up their mouth and to share the gospel and do what you've called them to do. Lord, help us to do what we can do for the cause of Christ. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand one last time as we end the revival? And we've talked about a lot of topics. This topic may not have been one particular for your need tonight, but we've talked about a lot of things this week. And as we had, we put all these sermons together. I know it's hard to remember all those, but maybe God's spoken to you in some particular way. Maybe there's something that he's impressed upon your heart that you need to do, that you need to talk to him about tonight as we close the revival. That you need to say, Lord, Lord, you've impressed this upon my heart. You've challenged me in this area. Lord, I'm going to turn this over to you. I'm going to commit to doing this. I'm going to start opening up my mouth. Whatever it is, Lord, I give it to you. We're going to sing a verse or two if you need to come.
you come. Or if you need to pray where you're at, feel free to do so.